Welcome to Mint, the corner of where crypto meets the creator economy. My name is Adam Levy, and every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll be showing you how the creators of today are building the communities of tomorrow by harnessing the power of Web3. Before we kick off this episode, I wanted to recognize one of the NFT sponsors that's helping make Mint a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3. This episode welcomes David Greenstein, co-founder of Sound.xyz, one of the most popular music NFT marketplaces in the space. I've been watching the growth of Sound all the way from day zero when David and I first met, when he shared his excitement on how he's about to change the game for independent music artists. It's incredible to see how far he's come so far. So without further ado, let's dive right in. David Greenstein, welcome to Mint, my friend. Long time coming. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh... Thank you so much for having me. And this has been a, a long time in the making. A long time in the making. Season four was all in the music industry. We didn't manage to catch you on that one, but we're continuing the love in season five, hence why you're here today. Okay. So I always start with uh, with an introduction. Okay. For those who don't know you, what does the world need to know about you? How'd you get your start into crypto and uh, kind of what are you doing now? Yeah. Before crypto, we obviously got to, you know, get it, get started with the music side and music has been yeah. for as long as I can remember. And it really, and I've talked about this before, but it's really just uh, being in the right place at the right time. And growing up in New York City, um, one of the alumnus of my high school ended up being the CEO of Atlantic Records and is still there to this day, Craig Kalman. And I got really lucky and started being able to intern there when I was in high school um, because Craig was willing to to let, to let me work in their A&R department and just got started studying the music industry. And it never, uh, never like dawned on me that like, um, like the music industry was not going to, uh, the record label industry was not going to be the source of innovation in the music industry. And I was always obsessed with where that was going to come from. And I'd say the intersection of music and tech have always kept me up at night. And the main thing is just, there's so much talent sitting on the internet waiting to get discovered. Um, and the tools and the, and the methods for discovering new music have largely remained unchanged. Um, and so you've ended up in this world where there's just so many incredible musicians that want and need to be heard, um, but there's not the systems and the and, and the methods of engagement to actually surface that that music. So um, I've always worked at startups and um, music related. Worked at Pandora for a couple of years and started a music company. And um, I was like thinking about what I wanted to work on next. And I just started going down the the Web three rabbit hole from a like product perspective. I had been in crypto for four or five years, just as you know, a person working in tech and a few different communities specifically uh, one friends with benefits and uh, where I met my co-founder and so many uh, friends now that have helped me along the way. And then another party bid are two organizations that um, really, really helped shape uh, a lot of the people that I met um, along the way to make, to make sound possible. So I'm always internally grateful to those two places because without them, I would definitely not have sound right now. Do you play any instruments? Like what, what's your connection to music like early on? Yeah, so I mean, I went through every uh, every failed attempt to try and be an artist, and that's kind of how I ended up <laughs> at, at this side of the table. So growing up, I, I used to play guitar, 
Um, and then I also went through a nice little stint as a DJ. I, I think I had better DJ skills than I did guitar skills. Okay. But, but uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I enjoyed it. Like music has always been at the forefront, whether it's listening to music, playing music. I've always been just obsessed with just kind of writing songs and uh, watching artists take things from nothing or are inspired by something that like I walk past a hundred times a day and never even think about. Um, and so I've always been just an admirer of those like behind the scene documentaries of how mm-hmm. that made because just people's like creative brains work in a whole different dimension. And I think that's obviously part of uh, why I've always just like hung around music and been lucky to obviously meet a lot of people along the way and all those yeah. things. It's always inspired me from the beginning. Have you seen Calvin Harris's slide creation on YouTube? How he kind of like documents his step-by-step process on how he created the hit song. What you're saying right now really reminds me of that. Yeah. I mean, I even, I mean, that, those, those are great examples. And obviously there's like some famous Kanye videos yeah. from him create uh, beats behind the scenes, but, and I, I would love to see more of that type of stuff. Even Kenny beats on in a modern day example on Twitch, like has built a huge audience of just, you know, showing people obviously like him in the studio um and that's obviously been really 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 insightful um and I, yeah i think one of my other favorite podcasts is something called and the writer is which is a podcast mm-hmm. by ross golan who's a very large songwriter and he interviews some of the biggest songwriters in the world like benny blanco and a few others to like talk about the stories behind these songs and kind of how they came to be and i think that's um like those are the types of things that uh, i'm always always studying so we met prior to sound launching. We met through a mutual friend, Connor, um, who's like top, top manager in the space. And I remember uh, one thing that was really unique about your story that always stuck with me is like your entry into the music scene. I think it was like your early teens. You said something about Pandora, right? Joining joining Pandora early on or starting uh, at a music A&R firm, right? But yes. like you, you got in at like the above, like above normal age to actually like start working at one of these places from what I remember. Yeah, so it was it was working at Atlantic when I was like, in okay, place, um, which is obviously part of Warner Music Group, and I think it, it's really that's that's something that I like never take for granted is that I've just been talking to artists and managers and people in the music industry for so long, which is where I've been able to kind of like learn some of these insights about what works, what doesn't work, and I've just always been a student of the music industry. It, it's not just like like it's the entire like economy of music, right? And we always talk about artists and listeners, and those are two very very important pieces. But there's an entire business that surrounds music, mm-hmm. and in order to understand why things are the way they are, because the, what gets like put out as the output is the music industry is broken or artists aren't getting paid, but it's equally important to understand why artists aren't getting paid or why things are um, the way they are. And that's kind of been a lot, a lot, a lot of the journey and definitely uh, people like Connor, uh, Connor uh, runs one of the most successful indie labels called listen to the kids. It was signed like Alexander 23 and manages Omar Fetty um, and a few others um, like being able to learn from people directly like him is part of what's helped shape a lot of the insights um, that, that, uh, that drive even sound today. So what was what was your past startup your your startup prior to this that you were working on? Yeah, it was a basically like a, a TikTok analytics tool that we were just using to oh. kind of scrape data across the uh, across the internet um, and track a lot of the like I've always been obsessed with as I told you like like all this talent that's just sitting there and a lot of talent was blowing up on TikTok and mm-hmm. it was just a, a, like an A and R tool for like discovering emerging talent and that's actually how I met Connor because a lot of the uh, labels were using it as you can imagine to yeah that to, yeah. to identify that i wasn't as passionate about like 
a small SaaS business selling to labels. And I wanted to go after the, the, the big problem, which is how do we help as many artists as possible make a full-time living off their music? And also how do we help artists reach the most amount of people with their, with their, with their music as well? I think one thing that, that often gets talked about is the money because the money is very visible. It's obvious. Yeah. Things it's, it's, it's artists aren't always getting paid what they're worth or what their value is or what their music means to somebody. Um, but on the other side, making music is not just about making money. It's also about getting your song heard by as many people as possible. And I think today, like just there's not enough places that to shine eyeballs on songs. And I mean, other than TikTok, and I have these conversations with like music industry people that don't know anything about Web3. And I talk a lot about this with Web3 people who maybe are less exposed to the music industry. But other than things like TikTok or YouTube, there aren't really many places right now in the music industry where songs are just blowing up or getting eyeballs and so right chicken and the egg problem of like yes i want to sell i want to engage my community i want to build my initial like i want i want to i want to build things with my with my listeners but also how do i get listeners how do i build that strong connection with my community and that kind of feels like a black box right now um and i think is hopefully obviously part of what like the web3 music scene is about um given just the transparency and and participation aspect of just web3 so there's a, there's a few things here. Building an analytics tool for TikTok to discover up and coming talent, and uh, also the element of building your community in Web three. I think one of the more interesting things, the more artists I talk to, the more overwhelmed they feel to create music for a platform to reach virality versus creating music for the sake of music and showcasing their art, right? And I think Web three has a home for that, right? And being able to value your music for what it's worth versus trying to build hit songs that go viral via dances or trends on TikTok. I mean, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So I think it's all about what game do you set up, right? So yeah. I think the game of TikTok was to dance. And I don't even think TikTok was meant to be a music thing. I think they stumbled into that um, by nature of the fact that, you know, music um, is attached to every single video. And I, I think the point of like kind of the Web3 music uh, scene is, since, uh, is to build sustainable models for, for, for music, right? Today on Spotify, the game is set up so that you have to get tens of millions of streams in order to make any real money on your song. And that means that you basically obviously need to achieve some level of popularity in order to be a full-time musician through your music. I think in Web3, we have a, a, a fundamental way to change the way that music is structured today and build systems that allow you to make a full-time living off getting 25, 50, 100, 1,000 people who support your music. And that, to me, feels a lot more achievable for a mass amount of artists. Of course, some people will go on to get millions of listeners or millions of collectors. And that's amazing and nothing wrong with that. But that shouldn't come at the expense of somebody wanting to get 25, 50, 100, mm -hmm. 1,000 people who want to support their music. And that's why I think uh, for us, like it was never about building on top of something like Spotify because something like Spotify isn't fundamentally designed at its core to support millions and millions as, uh, any, as most artists will tell you. Um, and that's why we felt we had to start from a bit of scratch here. Um, to kind of reshape and show that you can do this with 25, 50, 100,000. Mm -hmm. I don't pretend to know yet what the exact magic number is. There's obviously the famous 1,000 true fans, Kelly, mm -hmm. Kevin Kelly essay. Um, but I do think that that was directionally along the right line of building these small, intimate communities and um, really making them about the strength of them versus like today it feels like just get a million fans, but how many of them are yeah. true, 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 true fans? So the other portion is you creating this analytics play for TikTok, which I feel like really works like peanut butter and jelly with what you're doing at Sound.xyz. But 
I, I'm curious to hear your point of view. When you create a tool that helps scout up and coming artists, and then you build a platform like Sound to basically put people on the map, and you have this power to create this like level of of like creative freedom for for these for these individuals. I feel like your 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 experience in curation and building this analytics tool really played a part in you kind of designing sound like it was like the next evolution well it's it's basically like i've as i said I've, it's it's the like there's so much good music i think one thing I right always, like like the the best basketball players are in the nba right now like i don't believe that there are people that could be in the nba that aren't but some mm. of the most talented artists are not yet discovered and i think for me it's like drives me insane that the next whoever your favorite artist is is just sitting on the internet waiting to be discovered and how do we build systems and tools that obviously um, you know, surface that, 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 uh, that information. And I, I think obviously with NFTs, you kind of get that out the box, right? Because people have all of a sudden for the first time, like the ability to say like, Hey, I was here to discover Billie Eilish, uh, first. And there's an actual on-chain proof that that's actually true, which I think has never been before possible. Like if you go on SoundCloud or you go on Spotify, even on SoundCloud, right? There are people that have commented on the song, but there's millions of comments. You can't really tell who is there first. And I think that's kind of like the interesting part of here is that artists have never had the relationship directly with their listeners, which is a misperception in terms of you would think that artists are getting all this data about who their listeners are, but it's always at the aggregate level. They never know who their actual heart, like day one fans are. And on the listener side, I've been running around the internet my whole life saying, I discovered this person and that person before you and arguing with my friends. Um, but uh, there's never been an actual way to prove it, right? And I think those two forces coming together is actually quite interesting because then you can actually, the whole point of this is to incentivize people to go check out new music. I think that's what makes, I, I always talk about the concert and how influential the concert has been to me because I think the concert mm -hmm. is the most powerful experience in music. Um, just in terms of like the artist is performing, there's a community of people around you. It's, it's, it's social, it's engaging. Um, and I, I think that's what makes a festival so interesting is that you go to a festival to see some of your favorite artists, but then you might wander around and discover a new artist that you've never heard of that you fall in love with and go support and then go to their concert. Right. And the cycle kind of repeats itself. And I think that's part of, uh, in addition to like music discovery, kind of having a bit of a crisis today, I think that's part of it is like the pandemic obviously took out touring and people stopped discovering new music in kind of fun fun ways. And the digital experience of discovering new music is a little bit broken today, right? Outside of the core TikTok, YouTube, uh, whatnot, which are like great, like use mm -hmm. those for what you got to use those tools for, but they promote a certain type of content kind of emerging, right? Like TikTok is definitely like viral dancing, um, short clips. And I think YouTube has its own scene, right? But there should be other methods and ways to discover and 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 surface like incredibly talented like the the ultimate dream for the internet is if you are a talented artist like you will rise to the top or you will get some type of following or you get some type of notice because that's obviously the way it should work um and today i i, I like we believe like the tools to surface new music and content are somewhat missing um from mm -hmm. from the internet you're you're so like calculating in particular with everything you do i've really noticed this since like since we actually first met and seeing the the birth of sound from seeing you first time and meeting you in person at NFT NYC at the FWB event uh, and seeing all the hype that you were generating around the up and coming launch to then seeing you at Brett's, uh, what was it? It's like the first music NFT night uh, later on. Yeah, and like, yeah, kind of seeing you like bounce around from circle to circle, kind of like what, here's what we're going to do at sound. This is what's up and coming. Stay tuned. Let me get your number, blah, blah, blah. And there's one thing that really stood out to me about you in uh, particular. You have this Instagram account 
uh, that is obviously private. So you have one, you have your personal Instagram, Instagram account, and you have this other Instagram account where you follow all the biggest people and you kind of source someone's legitimacy or like you kind of curate interest and in like sparks in people based off who's following those Instagram accounts from the people that you follow. If, if I'm not mistaken, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, so the purpose of that is like, uh, yeah. one thing I've learned is like the world is so small. And I mean, even yeah. all the artists on sound, there's been so many people that I had no idea follow like mm-hmm. or know each other. And I, I've learned just the, the ability, like if you have a mutual friend, like the introduction or the ability to kind of meet that person is so much, it's a hundred times stronger. Yeah. Um, and then I, I also obviously have my, you know, personal Instagram and I want to leave that yeah. alone. So yeah, yeah. one, one small thing that I did was just like follow everybody in the music world that I could ever want to talk to or meet. And whenever I, including people that I actually know, and then it gives me an easy way to look up. Like if one of my friends that I, that I, that, that I know, knows somebody, um, I can easily reach out. So it's just like a little thing, but I think to answer your broader point, uh, I'm just always talking to people from a, mm-hmm. like, in curiosity perspective, I think that's where the best insights get generated is just talking to people about their problems, whether it's artists, whether it's listeners, whether it's collectors, whether it's songwriters and producers. And I think in order to really like uh, at the end of the day, like I'm, I'm not an artist, right? And in order to get like to solve problems for artists or solve problems for listeners, the best way to do it is to really put yourself in front of them and talk yeah. to them about what's going on. And I think that's kind of been like at the core, even before I started sound, I mean, uh, thousands of conversations and i don't joke on that number in terms of just getting the insights on like hey would you would this work for you showing you early mocks etc um and i think that's part of um like uh part of like just what went on behind the scenes um was building those relationships and learning and kind of studying just what works and what doesn't work and i'm very 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 grateful to all the artists and there's too many to shout out or too many to count um that been generous with their time to like educate and, and and teach and obviously in return like try to build things that are helpful um to to them yeah no i i i really respect the hustle and kind of seeing the birth of sound from meeting you prior to its launch then seeing it like launch and all the excitement around it and then seeing it where it's at today it's really fascinating and i, I really applaud you for it and you like to see the value that sound is creating for artists that otherwise wouldn't have a stage and a platform to really showcase their art, connect with listeners and build a collector base in, in Web3. It's really cool to see the dynamic kind of unfold in this new genre, this new era of what music is worth online and it being valued differently than, let's say, what the big corporations kind of pin it to be as, for example. Yeah, I, I even take like the other like opposite approach of like, I okay. think sound only exists because of the artists that have um, like been willing to participate in the ecosystem. Like sound is literally nothing without the artists. And I think that is, that is like probably the most um, like that was the most obvious thing to me is if we get strong artists that believe in the community um, that believe in web three music, then obviously like maybe we have a chance at getting this off the ground. And I think what people don't necessarily realize or know is like, we didn't lay down the first lines of code for sound till like mid August of 2021. So mm-hmm. we launched like three months after we started working on it. And with Oshi as our first artist on December 6th, and um, it's been a whirlwind ever, ever, ever since then. And that's part of the reason why uh, this is happening a little bit later, but um, it, it, it's really been um, uh, just something I could have never even imagined against my wildest mm-hmm. dreams. And it's, it's probably the, it, it is the greatest, like it's like the greatest 
privilege and pleasure to work on sound because it's it's doing everything that I've ever wanted to do since I was a kid of just helping artists and 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 shaping kind of how the music industry can look um, if we kind of are able to experiment with music in, in new ways. Yeah. Um, I want to talk more about sound now and like jump into the platform itself. Uh, I've been collecting on your platform uh, quite, quite a bit. I was a part of season one, picked up first, the first few golden eggs. I think the most, the first one was Matthew Chime, which was an epic drop. I remember that being in the, in the Twitter space and then being able to get the golden egg. I want to talk to, I want to, I want to get like more of your point of view on how you kind of came about to design the drop and like what the drop means to you and what kind of process went into formulating from the golden egg to the 0.1 ETH as the initial drop to the 25 editions as like the base premiere of a drop. Can you walk me through more of like the design principles that kind of came to mind as you were building that out? Yeah. So I, I think um, the, uh, the two principles that have never steered me wrong are simplicity and obviously focus. And so we wanted to keep things simple. Like this is a new product. This is a new uh, platform. Like we didn't want um we didn't want to overwhelm people because we know people are taking time out of their day to kind of kind of come check us out um and so from the beginning it was really as always shaped with the artists themselves so every decision that went into the first kind of iteration uh i mean i can't even imagine how many artists we we shared that with but the gist of it was we wanted it to feel as i said earlier as close to a concert as possible and so part of that was just gathering multiple people around the songs which is why we obviously chose to kind of go with this multi uh like edition approach the question then became how many editions and i, I looked at oshi and, and we we're like how many do you think we could do and we, we didn't really uh have any uh like context before obviously the drop because we had no data um and so we picked a pretty random number 25 and 25 felt like hey that's that, that's not nothing and that's not um uh uh but it's not too many and we we obviously um like wanted the drop to be successful and so that's where the 25 came from it was just a group conversation with 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 me and oshi for his first drop and uh, after it started to work we were like let's keep it and let's see when it stops working and it never stopped really working and so that's, mm -hmm. kind, of, that's kind of how we how we got here um i think the golden egg was an example of just like in, like making it fun right um i, I think sometimes people uh, in the beginning, like it takes them take themselves too seriously. And I think the golden egg was a way to inject real value um, without like, you know, I think against our principles is we try to we, we tried to keep the price like, uh, like low at point one, uh, relatively to like, you know, other mints or yeah, obviously in the music industry, that's still very, very expensive. But we just wanted to make it fun to participate and like, learn something new about that artist. So I, I think that's part of the reason why everything was so kind of um like straightforward um point one support the artist there's no whitelist there's no way to game the to game the system you basically just show up and purchase it um and that aspect combined with the twitter spaces which i think have become like a hallmark thing of sound was kind of the magic ingredient to kind of getting this off the ground and the twitter spaces was really important to me because i always talk about this the music is super 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 obviously the most important but the other thing is the story behind the music is as important. And for us, it was really important to highlight these stories because it built built such an emotional connection with not only that song, but the, that artist themselves. So Oshi is an example. Like you ever talk to him, you get to know him. You can't help but want to support him. Like that's that's like like the journey that he's been on, obviously, over the last seven years or so being obviously like a premier artist on SoundCloud, getting started in the music industry. I don't even know what age, like 16 and knowing what he's gone through now 
it's an incredible journey. And we felt that there wasn't a clear way to tell those stories. So we're like, let's do a Twitter spaces so that everybody knows what I kind of know about Oshi. And maybe that will make the drop a little bit more contextual. And mm-hmm. Obviously, um, we got really, really good reviews on that. So we just kept doing it. And we've now done like 140, 150 Twitter spaces where we've highlighted every single artist that's been on sound in their journey uh, for their for, for their first drop, because we think it's really important that people get to know why we're doing these drops and why this artist isn't getting involved with Web3 um, for all different shapes and reasons. And I think that's really um, the beauty of it is like everybody's coming from their own journey or their own walk of life. And I think everybody's story is is unique. So I think it's very important that we yeah. try to highlight um, people's, people's, people's stories and not put them in a box. But one of the most unique things about sound, which I noticed off the bat, is the virality of saying my drop sold out in a few seconds and being able to pin the amount of money that you were, you were able to create from that. The the wow factor behind that is instantaneously viral. Like the, the ability to go as an artist, to go out there and say, my song on Spotify or Apple Music has X amount of listens. But this just generated X amount of value in a matter of seconds. And now I have these passionate collectors who not only like bet on me, but are going to be holding my thing, give or take, for the long run is is unique. There's never been an experience like that before to enjoy or to consume or to listen to music. And that that moment of virality of saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this sold out in, in less than 30 seconds, two and a half K or, or 2.5 ETH, et cetera. There's something to that. Like I, I feel like also that that psychology led to a lot of the virality about sound. Would you agree? Would you disagree? How, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I, I think in the in the beginning, like obviously, like the sellout, like like causes people to obviously like talk about what's going on, why did they mm-hmm. sell out, et cetera. And I th- I think it was really about starting a conversation. Like obviously, like not every song is going to sell out in every in every you know in anything. Um, and I think that's not the point of, of it. But I do think that that the sellout kind of shows that there's demand. I think the demand was really important because before obviously sound existed um, and even like the just broader music NFT space more broadly, like the criticism is who would ever want to support this? Um, and are there people out there that that want to reshape and, and, and reimagine like how we value music? And I think the, the, the shock factor of saying like, hey, um, I just generated three million streams worth of, of music in the span of seconds, I think gets gets you thinking because I think anybody who's tried to make uh, uh like go generate 3 million streams on Spotify. That's not easy to do across anything. Um, And it can take a long, long, long time to get there. Um, And I think not only to get those streams, but then to get paid out is like another three to six months later. So I think from an artist's perspective, that's like the most shocking thing that you could ever imagine um, because of what the alternative is. So if you're talking about um, a music NFT where you can potentially get paid out instantly and build an intimate connection with your listeners, Versus a system where you have no no interaction with your listeners, you get paid out three to six months later. It's you have to get millions of people to support your music. That is a one hundred x difference to how it works today, and that to me is what caused a lot of the kind of virality with sound. And I think uh, is part of what um, yeah, part of what like helped launch kind of the music NFT movement. But I will say we're we're so early into the movement that I, I don't, as I always joke. I don't think we've really gotten started yet. And so I think um, I think um, anything that's been done so far is the very, I don't even think we've left the batter's box. So um, I think we uh, have a long way to go. And I think this is the start of obviously a cultural uh, like revolution on like, um, on like just what music is worth and 
reshaping that music itself is 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 valuable. Yeah, I want to share my screen for a moment uh, and, and highlight the website for a sec, okay? Because one of the, the the biggest metric that you guys consistently advertise as being the most important metric is uh, the amount of value, kind of like money generated to these artists. So two point six mil, okay. I'm curious, David. Like, what does that mean to you? Like, what is, when you see two point six mil on this board, like front and center, why showcase that one? And two, what does that mean to you? And I guess like the success of sound. Yeah. So I, I think this was something that we did uh, fairly early on. Yeah. Uh, I think the main point here is to show that real value is being created for independent artists, right? And I think that's really been like the hallmark point of sound. I think the 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 main point of like showing the value is just showing that like this that the space is growing and that the mm-hmm. space can thrive and that people want to participate in this because I think the stereotype and the and the reaction is like why would somebody kind of collect a music NFT which we can get in, which we can get into um, and I, I think that's really the main point about why we put that front and center is to like I mean the whole Web three space is is transparent it's on chain everything is all the metrics are are easily kind of calculable calculated calculable and I think the main the main perspective was just to put that front and center and like. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, kind of, I always say this, but just bet on yourself and double down. So if it doesn't work, the number stays, uh, you know, still, if it does work, it goes mm-hmm. up. Uh, and I think that kind of puts the pressure on on, on us to kind of deliver uh, and create value, uh, not just like for the artist, but also for the listener themselves too. Do you remember like your feeling after selling out the first drop uh, of selling Oshi's drop? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was pure chaos. I remember being on FaceTime with Oshi. And was, <laughs> like, I, I might even have some some uh, FaceTime screenshots, but it was just like, uh, it was just like, we don't, we're like, what is happening? Cause the whole site, <laughs> was, uh, which wasn't the first time it happened due to like too much traffic. Mm-hmm. And when the whole site went down, uh, but then like somehow people bought them and I was like, how are they buying them? The whole site went down. Um, and we were just like, we don't know what's happening. Like, like it literally just like, like, and I was, my, my phone was blowing up and I've never experienced anything like that. Like I've never, like it was the most wild experience of, of, one of my of my whole life and i think me and oshi was just like such a good sport as he always is about like what was going on and so we were he was just like we were just i mean we were just like what is happening um because we never in our wildest dreams ever thought that like people would kind of come and support um to, at, at this time and so um it was like the most humbling and exciting experience and the next day i was like holy shit we have another drop so we got to get back to fix the site um, and then we we went with Brady as our second artist and mm-hmm. our third. And um, it just kind of like built out from there. And I, I think uh, I was like, I'm going to keep doing this until yeah. you can't do it anymore. Um, and so- at this at this point, you've kind of built such like a well-oiled machine. You have like two to three drops a day. Um, how? Like how, how have you managed to create that assembly line effect where you're just pumping things out like McDonald's like pushes out hamburgers? Like no, what's I, the secret I- to doing that? I mean, one is I have an incredible team uh, that I work with that I think makes this uh, even all possible. And, there's, and the team has obviously grown since then. So it's definitely mm-hmm. no, no one man army anymore. Um, and I think too, like I, I, I think it's just a lot of hard work. Like I'm up to very late right now. <laughs> um, yeah. These drops, working on the tweet storms, working with our team to make the marketing assets. And really just, uh, we, we promote every drop the same. Like we, we always want to mm-hmm. make that every artist experience and obviously it goes without saying i don't think you can do twitter spaces for every song on earth um but what i will say is it was really important to shape 
um, kind of the world we want to live in. And we think a world where artists be are able to tell their stories, highlight incredible music and build like community around that music is a better world. And so that's why we kind of wanted to just do the things that don't scale um, while we can. Um, and I think that's kind of played a core role. And when I saw it was working and people really enjoy the Twitter spaces, I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to double down and, and yeah. harder just to make sure that they keep happening. And I think, you know, doing two a day, it, it definitely obviously is hard, um, but it's a hundred percent worth it because I think giving the artists anything that we can do a small part on to help artists tell their story is, is worth doing. Um, cause that's ultimately who, who we're here to help. What were what were some of the initial bottlenecks uh, in the beginning that prevented you from kind of like reaching the output that you have right now? Uh, I think just the product. I mean, as I said, we, we we went straight from the product being finished to launching with Oshi, and so we never had any um, like we we never had any like like wiggle room for like just fixing okay. things, and so it was like Got it. All, all hands on, on on deck there. And then I think one thing that people um like maybe maybe don't realize is like there's two sides to this there's the there's the artist side and there's also the listener collector side and i think it's really important to keep kind of collector demand in line with kind of artists um and i think because this space is so nascent um those two things kind of kind of go together um and so for us we, we we we're always like keeping track obviously we have a ton of data and just the drops and traffic and everything. Um, so we, we, we want to make sure that we kind of grow this space sustainably because we think music NFTs and just the Web3 music movement has the chance to literally upend the music industry. And for us, it's not, I mean, even and even in the way that sound works today, like we don't take a percentage of the drop at all right now. 100% of the revenue generated by artists on primary and secondary sales uh, go to the artists themselves and, and whoever they're splitting it with. Um, and that's not because like we won't figure out a business model in the future, but that's just because we wanted to make the best experience for collecting music NFTs right now. And that, that was really what we're, what our focus was on. And when we get to the business model, we'll figure that out just like we figured everything else out in partnership and in conjunction with our artists, um, because that ultimately is the best way to build a sustainable, thriving ecosystem. So I think in this world, like, and this is obviously a lot different, like the artists, like our partners and um, artists are like what helped shape this. And I think that mm -hmm. first to on Spotify and kind of streaming services today, artists didn't give any input into the price per stream. Mm -hmm. It was whole and determined for them. Mm -hmm. um, that kind of is like the beauty of web three is just the collaboration and interoperability of kind of the entire uh, ecosystem. So let's talk more about those two, those two uh, parties, the, the artist and the collector. Okay. Sound at the moment has a very highly, like highly curated process, um, which I think has also led to its success with kind of mitigating who gets to drop on and the quality that gets to drop on has attracted certain collectors as well. Um, and you have the power to basically like give someone a stage, give someone a platform and to nearly change their lives in a matter of seconds, or at least help change their life in a matter of seconds, right? Like what, what does that responsibility mean to you? What does that power mean to you? And second, like how do you bring that to more people without diluting the value of curation? Yeah, so I think why sound started curated is an important, important question, important answer. I think one, as I said, the product was just was so early that we wanted to make sure that we mm -hmm. delivered experience for every single person. Two, uh, we wanted to just see what works, and before we didn't want to scale a, uh, a bad experience to many people, and so it made sense to focus this on a small, um, a small group of artists. 
And I think the, 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 the third thing is just the legality, um, which is if we opened it up too quickly and people started to put, you know, unlicensed music or unlicensed samples, then we could end up solving problems that are really boring instead of focusing on the problems of like, how do we help artists, you know, build community amongst their music. And that was kind of the initial reason why we started Curated was just to sustainably like yeah. build the community and grow the community. I think in the future, right? Like I think something we've been very um, consistent about and no problem saying is I have very little interest in building a music platform for a hundred artists because ultimately there are, there are millions out there that kind of need help. Um, and I think the only way you can do that, you can't do that in a curated approach. I think for us, it's about the right path to kind of getting there. Um, and I think that's why we obviously tried to open it up every single season a little bit more. But there will be a time where, you know, you, you let the floodgates open and you figure out um, how to do so, but also maintain curation. I mean, so there, there are ways that you can build tools that help artists, you know, reach the most amount of people as possible. But you still have some type of like way to highlight m- music. So I, I think mm-hmm. that in that regards, like. We're, we're kind of, as I said, at the very, very, very early stage, and we have a lot of really exciting improvements and uh, product features coming out over the next couple of months that I think will catch people by surprise. So um, I think that's kind of the little, little, little teaser of what's to, what's to come. But I, th- I, I, I do think that the curation question comes up a lot and just in the mm-hmm. space more broadly. And I think some parts of it are great, but I think other parts of it have fundamental flaws. And I, I completely agree that like, as many people, the, the more artists that are experimenting with music NFTs, the better for the space. Um, and I think that's 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 ultimately like one of the goals for us is how do we get music NFTs into the hands of as many artists as possible so that they can start, uh, you know, building and experimenting. Because I think one pinnacle aspect of Web3 is just you don't need to have all the answers yourself. You can the more people experiment, the more people might come up with the, their the, their own solution, which another artist can be inspired by. And that's kind of like the remix culture, I think, is so, so awesome to see. Um, and I think a lot of artists have learned from each other just by like watching what other artists have done and kind of influencing them to do and to include in their drops. And I think that's kind of like some of the most beautiful aspects. So we can only get there with the more, the more minds and eyes on the problems, the better. What's up guys, Adam Levy here. Sorry for the quick pause, but I wanted to give some love to one of our NFT sponsors who's been helping make this season a reality. They go by Coinvise and on Coinvise, you can create a personal or community owned social token on Ethereum or Polygon. Coinvise also helps you create incentives through token rewards and bounties, NFT business models, and bot integrations for Discord. Discover more by visiting coinvise.co today. All right, back to the episode. So you guys recently announced like you you crossed the 100 artist uh, mark. I'd love to hear more of your thought process. What went into finding those first few 100 artists? Did you have any like specific like data points or like check marks that had to be reached or was there a certain like criteria you were looking for to, to bring these people on the platform? Like what was the story of bringing those first few 100 artists on the platform? Yeah. Every chapter has a bit of a different story. So I think yeah. the first chapter, which we like called the Genesis artist, it was really about taking 20 artists that had inspired us to build sound in the first place. Right. And it was really important to highlight emerging independent artists in the web three um, kind of community um that um like had been basically pushing the boundaries way before sound even existed mm-hmm. um, and we felt it was important to give them a, a a stage to basically like highlight um like their contributions to the to the to the, to the space and that's kind of the way that uh we chose the first 20 artists was just and 
was just the ones that kind of, I don't think sound would exist without their kind of efforts and contributions. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean there were actually a lot of people that we, that we like wanted to get as Genesis artists that scheduling just didn't work out or whatnot, but that was kind of the inspiration behind that. And then each season we've kind of run different approaches where season one, we had like kind of some of the artists curate who gets on next. because We wanted to experiment with like, what does it look like from an artist curated perspective? But I think that the, the, the main, the main thing is just building like music is diverse and just, like how music is. So we wanted to build a diverse community across every type of music, across every type of gender, across every type of sexuality, across all, all different sides of the spectrum. And I think that's that's kind of always been at the core of sound is making sure that the music that's out there in the world is reflective of, of like the artists that we're obviously onboarding. And I think to state the obvious, when you do a hundred artists, it doesn't matter what the number is, you're never gonna curate the perfect hundred artists. Like there's obviously people mm-hmm. like to get on sound. And that's why I think like, the ultimate, you know, solution is to figure out a way to open it up in some way, shape or form. Um, and I, I think, uh, yeah, I think a hundred is, I mean, it, it's, it's slightly over over now, yeah. but it's been um, considering the time frame that we started, it's given us a lot of conversation shots on goal. We've talked to a lot of artists because every single artist has gone through onboarding with us um, right. and in personally onboarding all those artists. It's been able to give us a lot of insights on like what works and what doesn't work. And I think one thing that I think we pride ourselves at sound is like, we're constantly changing. And so if we see something not working or, or we see something working, we're going to double down on the thing that's working and we're going to get rid of the thing that's not working. And so I think sound is also a living, breathing organism that is like changing day by day based on kind of the feedback from artists and listeners in the community. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it is where we're, 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 we want to be as nimble as possible and kind of just work with, yeah. with, with, our, with our community. So what what are the next 100 artists look like? Like you said, there was like some form of theme in season one or for the first 100. What do you imagine the next 100 looking like? Yeah, so I, I think um, the the goal was obviously like, and I, I think there's a lot more to, to do here, which is like sure. keep highlighting independent emerging artists in the community. Okay. Right? I think there's so many talented Web3 artists um, that need to be highlighted. And I even think the term of the artist is going to be pretty much gone uh, in the next year where it's really just people making great music, like whether they're going to like upload to Spotify, they're going to upload to, to a web three site, or they're going to mint their own NFTs. It doesn't really matter if the music's fire. Like that's ultimately the only thing that matters at the end of the day. And I think artists should always have creative freedom to put their music wherever they want. Um, And so we feel like it's really important to kind of highlight people that have been driving the space forward. We also want to act as a bridge for people kind of getting into Web3 and making it like fun to experiment. Because I think in order for the space to really take off and grow, you need to have more than 100 artists kind of experimenting with the music. And I think that's kind of like the the the, the, the two like hallmark things are, can we onboard more artists uh, into the Web3 music space? And then two, can we help those Web3 music artists achieve success not just in the Web3 scene, but just in the music scene more broadly. Like I think the first time that you go into a, a coffee shop and you hear um, uh, some of the artists that have obviously been on sound or any of the other Web3 music sites, like it's gonna, bl- it's just gonna like, like cause a complete uh, like mental shift that this isn't some like internet kind of click. It's, it's actually affecting the entire music landscape more broadly. And I think that's one thing that I, I think people don't realize yet is like there are already superstars in Web3 uh, and too many to count. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before the visibility and the spotlight gets shined on them um, because they they absolutely mm-hmm. deserve it. And I think that's kind of the point of like what got us here in the first place is 
we're pr like hopefully proving and showing that how many talented artists that literally existed way before kind of all this started are out there. And um, it's, it's, it's everybody's job and our job, especially to tell those stories. So do you think artists should be optimizing to grow like their collector base or reach virality on web two streaming and social platforms? Like what's, what's more important now? Do you think? Yeah. I, so I, I don't ever believe in like a one, one size fits all solution for, for artists. Okay. It depends on like what their goals are. Like if somebody wants to build a tight knit, a uh, hundred or a thousand person community, that's incredible. Like, and, and they should be fully empowered to do so. And you can have, wild success with a thousand people that really fuck with your yeah. music. Um, I think on the other hand, if somebody wants to be a superstar and like tour and do all these crazy things and be on the radio, then that's another path. Right. And I think the problem today is that you don't really have an option. And in the Spotify world, you really do need to be that superstar because that's basically how the system is set up. And I think here it's about making space for both. Right. Um, and I think championing whatever cause or, or artists, and I think a lot of the just conversations I've had with artists is that they feel like they have to do something or they feel like they can't be themselves or what they want to be. And I think that's always like the most dangerous side where like the ability to express who you are and, and freely um, and, and freely be yourself is like probably the most important thing to creative expression. Um, and I think that's kind of the beauty of the Web3 space is that it should cater to all shapes and sizes. I don't think that there's something about Web3 music that is like, against a bigger artist kind of getting involved. And I also think that there's nothing about an artist that like has no following that can't get involved as well. I think both are just tools to, to, to shape and build kind of how you engage with your, with your community. And I think that's kind of the, the, the that's kind of like the, the hope uh, and the belief that we can kind of sh shape there. So I think it's really uh, to answer your question directly, like it's really about what does that artist want and, mm -hmm. and can the tools help them achieve their vision? And I think that should work for as many artists as possible. And if it only works for really big artists, then that's not solving the root problem, which is how do we help artists, you know, uh, reach the most amount of people and um, identify their uh, communities and build them. Um, and so I, I think ultimately, like the independent artists, definitely, and when I say independent, I mean, a lot of the, like, like they don't have as many resources as kind of, mm -hmm. uh, maybe like a Drake out there. Um, and so it's really important that like we kind of level the playing field just in terms of like being able to sustain making uh, a living off your music. Cause I always hear you can't make money on music. You got to do touring or merch. And I think that's amazing and awesome. And I, I think, as I said, I, I, concerts are the greatest thing ever, but I think music itself is so valuable um, that you obviously should be able to make a more of a living off, off your music. So, quick story i'm a drummer i've been playing the drums for since i was five years old i never ended up pursuing it professionally because i never thought there was a real way to make money in it i always felt like i'd be comp competing against like a lot of the gospel drummers that grew up playing in church and they got all the gigs and they got everything and like there's no room for like this like this jewish kid that loves playing the drums <laughs> to go and pursue his passion and kind of seeing the evolution of what's happening in music and in nfts has really opened my mind up to there's there's literally an infinite amount of ways if you really set your mind to it and you really get creative and you learn different ways to make money and put yourself out there and create value for your art it's possible and i think like going back to your point of understanding what an artist want what should they strive for virality should they strive for building a collector base also kind of ties into my next question is how should artists be thinking about doing edition drops or one of ones 
or selling ownership in their in their NF, into their songs via NFTs? Like, what are the mental models that you think people should be looking for or looking from uh, to kind of answer these these types of questions? Yeah, so I think just like everything I always say, it's it's up to the artist on what they want to do, and they should they should have the freedom to create and experiment in whatever way, shape, or form, right? So I think we're so early in the space that there isn't one right answer on okay. which path is best for you. I think it's what are you looking to accomplish and what are you trying to experiment with. And one way to find out what's for you is to try them all, right? And I mean that's like a very common approach, and I think that's something that we even encourage is go try them all and see see what works and what doesn't work. And I think part of the beauty of Web3 um, is the interoperability and trying new things, right? So I think um, it, it would be kind of against the ideals of the space if like you could only use one kind of tool yeah. or product. So for, for us, it's like, yeah, go try it, go try it all and um, figure out what works. And then obviously like there are even more tools that like let you stitch those all together. And I think that's kind of the beauty of the whole space. So it's definitely not a one size fits all solution, which I think is really hard for sometimes people to wrap their heads around because that's exactly what happens today. Like it ends up being a one size all solution. And so it ultimately like, it takes a bit to like unbundle that. I think it, as I said, like it depends on like, are you trying to get multiple people around your music? Are you trying to build one intimate uh, experience or, or, or a relationship with a, with a, with a collector? Like what is the, what is the ultimate kind of goal of that artist? And I think it, it, it feels like there's enough, there's starting to become enough tools out there that um, artists can kind of experiment with what works best for them. So at the end of the day, as long as the artist is in control and the artist can, um, can like pick and choose what fits best for them. That's kind of a step forward in the right direction. And I think there are some more tools to build for sure. Um, but I just like the idea that there's already kind of optionality in the space. So that's, that's a really good way to look at it because earlier in the conversation, you're like, I wanted to find a way to make sound, uh, as if it was some type of concert experience, right? A listening party of some sort and going through the addition model, right. And, and doing multiple for for multiple NFTs for one drop is very much like a very like rational way or logical way to kind of think about this is why I should be doing additions to kind of get this party type of experience around my music. Um, and I guess like when when should artists be thinking about doing one of ones, for example, like what what, what is your what is your mindset around that personally versus from the artist point of view? Yeah, I, I think I think like what of ones are like. I mean, a lot of the, I don't even think the NFT space necessarily would exist without the one-on-one space. So I think there's always been a, sh a place for kind of that like mm -hmm. one-on-one um, like scarcity. I think it's really, really helpful in educating artists and, and listeners on just like, it's simpler. It's like, it's, it's there's only one of them, right? Um, so by nature of there only being one of them, the scarcity is just the highest it could possibly get. And I think there are things that you can do for one person that you maybe don't want to do for 25 or 50 people. And I think that's, that, that's like an incredible, um, way to kind of view and, and, and shape the space. And so I think you've seen a lot of artists do one-of-ones on, on other sites and also drop on sound as well. And I think it's just about figuring out like, and I think we're so early in the space, like which use case works best for which scenario, um, and giving artists the tools to basically pick and choose with 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 both. So I don't think it's any like I don't think it's against that as any one versus the other. I think they have different different fits and different different and different like, use cases. But but I think uh, with sound because we were going for this like community oriented uh, kind of approach with with building like multiple people around the song and kind of building that type of experience. That's obviously why we chose to do them the multiple kind of additions because it allowed us to play a little bit more social games, which I think were, were just really exciting to, yeah. you know, like, 
I think that that, that was kind of like more just how like I've always experienced music going to so many concerts. And so for, for, for us, it was really uh, just about giving, giving artists a way to kind of engage their community in a little bit of a cheaper manner, um, which I think obviously has helped, hopefully helped bring in a little bit more collectors to the space, um, which I think overall benefits everyone um, because mm-hmm. we want to have the goal is to turn every listener obviously into a collector because the line should be get blurred. And um, if that happens, then um, we're going to be, in, we're, we're all going to be in good shape. So I think um, that's kind of the, the the name of the game uh, for right now. So that's on the artist point of view. Okay. So earlier in the discussion, I was like, I want to split this up between the artist point of view and the the collector's point of view. So I think like you brought up an interesting point of view right now, which is uh, one of my questions, which we'll get into for for in a minute. Excuse me. Uh, but I guess from from a collector's point of view, after talking with so many of your collectors, or I guess learning more about your collectors, what makes one artist more valuable? than the other in web three. Do they have a point of view on that? Do you have a point of view on that? What, what are the thoughts around that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think like, I, I, I think it's always, I, I think it's always weird to like put a value on a person because I think people are just valuable in general. And like, there's not, nobody's okay. more valuable than the, than, the, than the next person um, at the end of the day. But I do think that like people obviously like, like music, right. And have their own tastes and, and music means different things to different people. And I, I think, um, I, I think it's really just which music is resonating with people. And I think that's ultimately the point of this is if you like the music, you have the option to support it and obviously get something in return. Um, and I think certain artists that have like obviously been able to build followings in the space. I think one consistent thing is that they're typically very involved and it doesn't feel like it's like a one-time thing and that they end up leaving. Um, and so I think there is some type of like involvement and I, I, I don't have like a, tangible thing around it but it's the artists that that are just like really really like thriving like Amon Europe who obviously is an artist and also works at Sound or Latasha or Oshi or Daniel Allen or uh, Grady um, and so many others and Rio Cragen and Jeremy from Marion Hill like they're there's they're like daily participants they really live breathe and believe in this stuff and I think that really resonates in addition to their music being world-class and incredible and just undeniably amazing. And I think that's what makes them like special, 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 not just artists, but people is their belief in kind of championing of the space. So I think that's kind of like one of the things I've noticed is like when you mix good music with like authenticity and like your story and why you're experimenting, that kind of has resonated obviously from the collector side of view um, in terms of, in terms of getting like collecting. So I think that's kind of yeah. my, my answer there. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you. A lot of the people that I collect, I try to see like what else are they doing in the space that not necessarily like directly brings value to collectors, but I guess increases their presence in Web3. So the best example is like looking at, at Matthew Chime, for example, and all the amazing work he's doing at SongCamp uh, and Chaos, but also doing his own individual drops, right? And kind of seeing his full comprehensive understanding of what's happening in Web3 at a very expert level kind of makes me more bullish on him as an artist in, in Web3 specifically. Um, and just like speaking more on the collector side, a really like interesting, I guess, like point that goes across crypto Twitter all the time is how do you think about the difference between collecting to collect and collecting to own? So what do I mean by that? Okay, because I also get backlash on this. So just to iterate before everybody jumps on me, collecting to collect for the sake of collecting, like what we do at Sound, okay? You, you do it from the form of patronage. You end up owning the NFT. It sits in your wallet, but there aren't necessarily like Web2 IP rights or royalties attached to it versus other NFTs that you can buy that generate royalties and income. 
how should collectors be thinking about the different models, I guess, on that, on that? And because one of ones very much fall into the same category as like additions, I, I would argue for the sake of collecting the way they're, they're being done right now, at least. Right. And then there's the other model of collecting. And with that, you get certain IP rights, royalty streams, et cetera. How do you think about the difference? Is one method more superior than the other? Um, and maybe maybe a little bit biased because <laughs> you do more of like the addition drops. But I don't know. I, I'd love to get your take on this because back in season four, there are so many hot takes on like which one, which model is better than the other. So it's always, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to get your point of view. Yeah, I think we're, we're too early to, to, to play the like which one's uh, better than the other. But what I, but what I, but what I will say is um, every NFT in the entire Web3 music and space and even the more NFT space more broadly, it's never been about the IP rights. It's about being, being part of a community, right? Having access to certain like artists and, or, or, or events or whitelists or whatever, whatever the access kind of is. It's about obviously making money. I mean, crypto as a whole is a speculation game. And then three, it's about the visibility that comes with owning it, right? Those are the three things that obviously shape and drive value. I think as an example, like if you take any, you know, PFP project, there's never been a, you get equity in like the Bordy Yacht Club. Like you do by nature of owning it and obviously being a part. And then, you know, all this kind of like you get airdrop a token five mm-hmm. months later, but it was never about owning equity in Yuga Labs. People bought, purchased NFTs because they wanted to be a part of the community and they valued what was going on. And from an art perspective, you wanted to directly support that artist and you thought their art was valuable, right? And if other people think that art is valuable, the NFT went up in value. And I think what 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 I think maybe people don't think about is like there's so many on-chain ways um, to generate revenue for those kind of collectors that that's ultimately like like I think a a um, a more like more lucrative opportunity than kind of building on top of the existing music world. And I think the way we, the reason we feel that way uh, is because like most artists that we spoke to aren't making any money in kind of the current, current streaming world. And so we felt it was more important to like generate new revenue streams for artists uh, because that's ultimately uh, where we can be most helpful and impactful to the multitude of different artists. And we don't want to like, we want to help artists, uh, uh, reach new sources of revenue in the music industry because one problem with music today is that there's very, very few ways to monetize music. Um, like they, they typically don't change. And there's usually one at a time, whether it's like, uh, you know, cassettes, CDs, iTunes, um, and now streaming. Um, and we would love to see a world where there's so many more sources and ways to monetize music. And I think that's ultimately uh, what, 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 what I, I think excites us about kind of the, um, the, the, like, uh, like web three music space is that it opens up the possibilities for, for monetization for music in ways never before possible versus kind of confining us to building on top of the existing system. Um, and obviously like we inherit all the problems that we ultimately uh, started with in, in, in the first place. So I think the freedom to value and the freedom to express and not putting a value on music is kind of the beauty of it. And I think um, something that a lot of people have said is like, I collect because I think the art is valuable and I think mm-hmm. the art is going to be, um, uh, you know, obviously increase their, their prominence in both the space and in the music world. And honestly, like, I think it's, it's too early to put a, put a, put like, put a finality on what these things mm-hmm. can do. And I think that's part of what's going to happen is you're going to start to see 
use cases and monetization opportunities and uh, access to certain things that you've never been able to see before uh, because that's the beauty of building in the Web3 space. And so I think with certain other kind of like NFTs that have been valuable and right, right now, obviously we're, we're in this whole PFP craze. Um, it's like nobody really knew at the beginning that like this type of NFT would lead to to an, like an allowless spot for this NFT, which would then lead you to, to an airdrop from this token, right? When you initially bought that thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the main thing is all we've done is mint the initial NFT associated with the song. That type of landmark moment in music history and with that artist and with that song is going to be the the like the access key to like a much larger world around that music. And I think there's so many opportunities. And I think we've only seen a few of them with like Daniel Allen has done this with his treasury where the NFT and kind of play a role in how the treasury mm-hmm. is managed and governed. And there's so many different things that can kind of be, kind of be explored and done with NFTs. Um, and not just even just the whole crypto space more broadly that I think it's, uh, I think just the opportunities are going to end up being just a lot larger, which is going to attract a lot of artists to kind of experiment on, on this side of the table. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see how that kind of unfolds in the various creative, like, I guess, creative ways that artists find, um, find methods to kind of tie value back to collectors. So of course the art is the utility within itself. I I don't believe the art should maybe have more than that. If artists want to attach more value to it beyond just the music piece, that's fantastic. I think we have yet to see where DeFi comes into the picture and when you can stake the value that uh, that it's kind of like locked in your NFT. I'm really interested around that. I think like you said, rev share uh, and like diversifying like what you get, like the, the, the various revenue streams that you get from selling collectibles and putting that to a treasury and issuing a governance token that then gets more value accrued to that. I, I, I've i yet to kind of see uh, more models beyond that, to be honest, that have worked um, and that have caught, gotten like a lot of attention. Um, and I'm really also curious to kind of like, I guess like learn more about in season two, you guys had really interesting, unique opportunities for collectors to engage more with previous drops that they've collected um, by basically allowing like a pre-sale, for example, prior to the drop going public. I'm curious, like what other value do you guys plan to create or like other unique experiences do you imagine uh, creating for collectors on sound? And I guess what, what do collectors want at the end of the day? Like what is a, what does a collector need at the end of the day? Yeah. So I I think there's, there's two things and I'll give a little bit of a preview. All right, let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I think one side is obviously like giving collectors a way to kind of show off and engage their their music collection uh, and building exciting products around that. Um, I think are really at the forefront of, of what we want to do. We want to make it really really fun to collect. We want to make it exciting to show off your music collection and show how early you were. And I think that's that that's kind of like at the core of of some of the product work that we're doing right now. I think on the other side, right, it's about access to the artists and access to the community more broadly. And I think there's been a lot of really interesting building in the space around like token gated merch stores, chat rooms, um, uh, countless others. Token, I mean, even what we do with the like basically token gated like allow list for like uh, pre sales. Um, but I, what I think you're going to start to see is like artists are going to be able to use these NFTs because that is, again, the whole point of the whole space is that to, to build whatever experience they want. And I think the surprise is actually like what what d- delivers that like incredibly like cool experience. Uh, and I think you've seen this a few times where like Pussy Riot gave her uh, sound NFT holders access to it, not even a music NFT, just like a separate like art drop that, mm-hmm. that she 
Um, and it delivered a lot of value to obviously like the, the, the collectors and, and, and holders of the initial sound drop. Nobody bought the NFT or the sound drop because of that. They didn't even know it was happening. Um, but I think that's part of obviously the, the, the interesting and exciting part of, of what's been going on is just, it's just seeing artists do things that, um, you know, um, haven't been before possible. I seen, I'm starting to see artists like fly out winners and golden eggs and all this really yeah. cool stuff. So I think it's really about the, just what's up to the imagination. And one thing I don't try to do is be more creative than an artist. And, um, I think artists are gonna, you know, that's one of the beauty of like working with artists that they're so creative that they come up with so many different things. And then obviously where a lot of artists want to do the same thing, we're like, maybe we can help you build something to, to support that. But, um, that's kind of, uh, answer is I think you're going to start to see a lot more ways to engage and have access to the, to that artist. And mm-hmm. I think the other side is there's going to be a lot more ways to have your kind of, uh, visibility of your music collection and, and show things off and, uh, yeah. kind of flex on who like your music taste versus your friends. But I think all at the same time, it's really important that the person who doesn't able to, isn't able to collect still has an incredibly fun experience. And I think there's a lot of features that you can build, um, for people who don't collect and still, uh, have them at, contribute a lot of value to the system. So I think that's kind of the name of the game is like, how do you make it fun to collect, keep it open, um, keep it affordable, but also make it like a open ecosystem for anybody who wants to participate. That could be an artist that hasn't yet uploaded their first music NFT. That could be a listener that, that hasn't first collected their music NFT. I think the, the, the main aspect is to make this inclusive for as many people as possible. And I think that's, that's, that's ultimately the, the journey of sound is to do so. Yeah. You said something earlier uh, and I, I want to bring it back. So every, every, or I guess nearly all collectors are listeners, but not every listener is a collector. How do you envision kind of onboarding the next 100,000, 1 million, 100 million NFT collectors into the ecosystem? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think you have to blur the lines between obviously like a listener and a collector, like Mm -hmm. if possible. And I I think the main thing is that that is the opportunity. Like as many people that listen to music can obviously be collectors. Um, And I think the the, the real thing that I'm saying is, what I just talked about, which is like, you have to build better ways for listeners and collectors to basically show off and their, their profile and obviously like their music collection and build ways for them to discover new music. Um, Cause I think that is ultimately like one of the things that's missing. There was a, there was a tweet the other night about uh, what would you like to see in um, and with music NFTs. And I think a lot of people are um, really, really like the idea of playing music NFTs and hearing them. And I think right now, like we're kind of using systems like, um, uh, OpenSea, which isn't necessarily the best place for like listening to music and discover because it wasn't intended or built for that. Um, and I think there's been some really cool experiments that are being run with like my, my friend Anthony, who created Hype Machine, has started something called uh, Future Tape, um, and a few others um, that are awesome. There's, there's there's feels like there's a new one every single day of just building cool ways to just like listen to the music out there because it really opens people's like minds up to like how much incredibly talented music is and i think at the end of the day like one of the things that's never steered us wrong is just as long as you're putting good music in front of people it really uh like the rest takes care of itself and i think the good music plus the good stories is kind of the the, the secret sauce to everything and that's kind of uh, what what keep what, what makes us excited what what is your vision for the music nft space look like what well, what is your like your p- perfect picture perfect type of scenario that you're kind of building towards um, and has that changed since you started sound initially? No, uh, I mean, the vision okay. is we want to help, we want to help a million artists 
make a full-time living off their music. I think we want to build a music economy that is accepting of all participants. And I think in order to define the music economy, right, there's multiple participants. There's artists, there's listeners, there's songwriters, there's, there's, there's labels, there's producers, there's music curators. And all mm-hmm. of those play a huge role in why uh, music is able to reach the masses today. And I think it's really important that everybody can kind of thrive in it. Because if any one party is upset, then ultimately, like, it's going to get disrupted at some point. And I think, I think obviously, like, in the current business model of music, like, songwriters and producers are clearly treated as second-class citizens. And that's a larger answer on why. But the main answer is just, like, the deals were done with the recording companies. And those artists, those companies protect recording artists, not producers and songwriters. Um, and so we want to build something that is open and accessible to as many, many, many different types of people as possible. And that's ultimately um, like the end goal of sound is to build an open kind of music ecosystem where anybody is free to experiment and, and monetize their music in cool and novel ways um, and build a listener community that ultimately values and supports artists um, and, and helps us reshape how music is valued. And if we can do so, then we can actually help many, many, many more artists make a full-time career so that you as a drummer or somebody that you, or, or your friend can like actually think of music as like a full-time kind of career prof- profession um, and not do so in a, in a way that doesn't require them to dance on TikTok necessarily or build a million listeners and whatnot um, and can build these kind of, you know, small communities around. Mm-hmm. What, what do you imagine the role of like Spotify and Apple music playing in, in this entire movement? And is there any fear or I guess any worry about them coming out with some form of like NFT compatibility for collecting songs? Like what, what do you, what do you kind of see around that? Yeah, I, I think uh, anything that helps artists monetize and experiment with their music, like never going to have a problem with. Right. So if they want to do that, that, that power to them, because honestly, at the end of the day, like the, the mission is how do you help artists reach the most amount of people? Sure. Um, anybody who plays a role in that, um, it deserves a lot of credit. And I think Spotify, what they've done is they've, they've built a, an incredible audience of hundreds of millions of listeners. Um, and I think that plays a role in the visibility side because you have hundreds of millions of, of, of eyeballs that like come to their app every single day to listen to music. What, how concentrated the, the listening is, is, is another conversation. But I think ultimately like the best product and the best solution will, will ultimately win out. And there may be multiple great products and solutions. And so I, I don't think like, uh, like I, I, we're never focused on like what a big player might do like Spotify. We're more focused on just building cool products for artists and serving our community and letting that kind of speak, speak volumes to itself. And we think at the end of the day, if we do that, something of value will be created. Um, and if Spotify or Apple music enters, then that's awesome and help obviously legitimizes the space. And as long as they're obviously sharing revenue with the artists in a fair and transparent manner, then we think that that's great. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I want to see kind of unfold is more collectors building communities around the artist versus the artist building a community around the collectors. Um, number one, have you seen any examples of that? Number two, what what is kind of like, what what goes into doing something like that? Like how can you motivate a band of collectors to build something? Like on Facebook, you see all these crazy Facebook groups of like people creating fan pages across Lady Gaga, right? Like those are fans creating groups around the artist. How do we get to that same mindset for, for music NFTs and collectors? Yeah, I, I think that's like a... Uh, a really, really interesting point. And there's a a great blog post that I, I uh, uh, Bass Grassmeyer, who works at Colors and is one of the most like incredible music tech writers. I've told him about this like six different times, but he has 
a blog post and I'm going to get the name wrong, but it's, it's something along the lines of like why like networks are better than channels for its models. Mm-hmm. But maybe today, if you think about Instagram and, and, and Twitter, right, it's very much the artists like blasting messages to their listeners. And sure, there's some comment back and forth, but it's not like a coherent place to have yeah. Versus if you talk about like Facebook groups or Instagram groups to what you've talked about, there are all these fan pages where without the artist permission, the the kind of listeners and collectors are able to kind of in, engage in, in in new ways. And I think that's a like like a lot of the like strong fan bases, whether it's like a Billie Eilish or uh, um, uh, Taylor Swift or Lady Gaga, or even on the on like some of the more legacy acts like a Grateful Dead. These are like fish, like these are like cult followings um, where. I think the artist is hundred percent involved in like their following in their community. Like I think of course uh, the Grateful Dead acknowledged the deadheads and everything along those lines, but there's like a lot of value that's being created by just deadheads talking to each other and building this as a community. I think yeah. there is a place a hundred percent for artists and, and, and listeners to build like those own worlds, even without the artist. Maybe the artist sees that the, like these listeners are like hanging out and like doing all this stuff and kind of coming in uh and can kind of contributing from there um so i think that's a hundred percent something that that i haven't actually seen happen it's been a lot of obviously like artists uh driving right now Mm -hmm. it is inevitable obviously like um the more something grows right like you can't just manage everything so i imagine with like some other larger kind of collections in the web3 space like there probably is sub fractions of groups that um that that kind of emerge and I think that's an inevitable outcome, obviously, as the presence and the notoriety of an artist kind of emerges. So, yeah, I think that's like a, a great point in terms of um, kind of like like just like loosening kind of the, the burden on an artist. Because what I think people don't realize is there's this conversation of like doing, you know, utility and work and all this other stuff. But a lot of the artist's time and work goes into making the music. Right. So that's really yeah. the, main, the main craft there. Um, and I think obviously like some artists are extremely talented at community building and management and, and involving, but not every artist necessarily wants to participate in that. And I think a, a large part of this is like letting the listeners and, and kind of collectors drive that. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I think the easiest examples you've seen a lot of like in discord, it's like a lot of listeners have become the community moderator and just stepped up and like done, like that's all, like gotten into yeah. a role in artist teams. And I, I know some famous stories of, of the community kind of members that have basically like joined the artist official team at, at some point. Right. Um, yeah. Built in today's world, like building an intimate connection with your community and your listener base is like critical to an artist's success. So I think it's a hundred percent possible. So just off that point um, for, for those who are listening to reference, you can check out the episode with uh, Henry Chatfield and Daniel Allen, basically like a duo. Henry came out of Daniel's kind of like success and rise and seeing what he was doing in web three joined him and then they became this epic duo online where Daniel was kind of, or excuse me, Henry was managing the day-to-day of the community, the discord, a lot of the ops related around drops and and different events that were going to happen while Daniel had the, basically the creative energy to focus more on his, on his craft. Um, And I think like seeing more of those duos, more of those like artist management kind of like collabs in web three is something we have yet to see more of on a, on like a a successful basis. I want to talk to you about a couple more things before we, before we wrap up Uh, something that's really unique to sound is the smart contracts that you guys kind of use to, to operate and fulfill a drop. And I think it's something that may go unnoticed behind the scenes but it is the foundation of everything that happens. Can you talk to me more about the smart contracts? Because from what I understand, it, you guys you guys use custom smart contracts to kind of curate and organize every single drop, right? Yeah. So for us, it was, I mean, one of the core principles was like on every music, uh, you know, service today, 
uh, artists don't really own the relationship with their fans. And the best way right. to uh, really showcase that point is to basically give every artist their own kind of custom smart contract that basically is their relationship with, with their listeners, right? So like not even us can like withdraw the money from the contract, only the artist can, right? And that creates a different kind of sense of ownership that doesn't exist today. So when an artist uh, like joins sound, they deploy a, their own kind of smart contract, um, uh, which obviously gives them provenance over their work. And I think that's something that like the way that's manifested in, in like everybody sees every day is like on on OpenSea, every artist has their own collection. They're not grouped under some central sound page. And I think that's been really, really helpful um, for just built, helping artists like this is your music NFT collection, not ours. Um, so at the end of the day, sound like is just as I said in the beginning, like it's just an like a, uh, an aggregation of all the artists and all their works. It's not like the other way around, which is very like platforming in terms of how it is today. And so we felt it's really important because what if like, you know, sound doesn't exist. It's really important that artists maintain that relationship with their collectors. And I think that's something that we spent a lot of time and effort on is just building um, the system to like let artists create their own smart contract, obviously with a, in, a, in, a, in a no code environment um, so that they could have provenance over their work uh, and definitely um is something we feel is like very integral to just not even just the, the the music web three space but just the nft space more broadly and there's been a few companies like manifold to kind of lead the charge on this mm-hmm. um which has been really really exciting and cool to see and definitely um definitely champion that as well yeah what does the next six to 12 months look like at sound so i i think the 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 the, the big question that we're gonna um we, we want to do, do is obviously like scale the collector uh, experience. So we definitely want to make collecting music NFTs so addictive, so fun, so like just enjoyable that people will, will come out of the woodworks to learn uh, about obviously like how to create a wallet or how to, um, how to buy ETH. Um, and we think that that is like the, the next step for obviously music NFTs. I think on the artist side, uh, it's more, it's most important to figure out how do we build systems that scale and kind of open this up, but also maintain um, some type of curation, even if it's in a more public uh, open way. And I think that's kind of the riddle I'll leave everyone here with is I think there are ways to open it up, but still maintain curation uh, and do so without kind of intersecting with each other. And I think, um, over the next couple months, uh, people will see kind of what we have in store, um, which I think uh, will, will, will catch people by surprise. So uh, yeah. I don't want to give yeah. away, otherwise we won't have a, enough time for episode number two. But uh, <laughs> there's a few things in store. And I think the one thing is like we do a lot of like just talking to listeners and artists. I mean, talk to artists on a daily, probably hourly basis. And then with collectors, we have like a biweekly kind of uh, town hall with our with our collectors in our discord people that are like verified sound collectors in terms of holding mm-hmm. that nft in their wallet and then we also do a sound uh, twitter spaces with the more broad community anybody can come and pull up uh that amon europe uh, leads and is incredible um so we're, we're we're constantly just learning and evolving and that's kind of where, all, where where the insights come from amazing so two two i guess three more questions okay um, these are more fun questions that when I tweeted, I'm interviewing you and coming on mint, what do you guys want to ask him? So the first one is what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, I'm going to go with cookies and cream, cookies and cream. All right. And then what's the ideal size for a tungsten cube? Uh, uh, four inches, hundred percent. Four inches, hundred percent. All right. And the last question, do you have any questions for me? Uh, I guess, uh, I, what, what's in store for mint? I mean, to see you kind of build this from like, I mean, even you, 
this is an entirely entrepreneurial journey as well. But I mean, I feel like Mint is really in the level of like guests that you have. Like I feel like I'm amongst legends and definitely the, the, the least the least important person in the space. So I, I'm I'm uh, I'm super honored to, uh, that you would even consider me and thank you for for making the time. And yeah, I'm just curious, like where do you see Mint headed and what's kind of yeah. what's yeah. So first of all, always welcome on the show. I think you're one of like the, the, the leading people that has a, that has a purpose that kind of like beats his drum and you really see that through your work. So welcome to any time. So in, in terms of Mint, it's a good question. Mint started 10 months ago um, with the sole intention of trying to selfishly learn more about what's happening in the creator economy by inviting people that are smarter than me onto the show to teach me about it. And then just so happen to document the process along the way. Um, and it's slowly spiraled to now reaching like over 20,000 people a month across all platforms. And every single season, I give out free NFTs to kind of document who are my early participants, who are my early contributors via po-ops or minting on my site. Season four was the biggest season yet. We had over 6,000 NFTs minted for free, uh, which is wild. And we had like thousands upon thousands of hit to the site too, which was really, really cool to see. And the community is growing and growing and growing. You know, my, my whole intention of starting Mint is like, I'm a creator creating content. I'm a podcaster, right? Creating content on the Web3 creator economy. So through my business model, through my levels of growth and, and, and engagement, through my content, I kind of set out this thing to be as Web3 native and as crypto native as possible. I envision me kind of doing more drops myself in the future, but I want to do it in a way where I, I really do it like really thoughtfully. And part of it is kind of rewarding my earliest contributors first somehow. And because we were able to provably show that either they were a speaker on one of the seasons, a listener on one of the seasons, or a sponsor on one of the seasons, they somehow have a role into kind of like playing the future of Mint. But the goal is not to create a coin desk or, uh, or an NFT now or uh, a decrypt or one of those. It's more so to create it as independent, as creator first type of environment and see where it kind of goes from there. Uh, I take it a step at a time. I, I get lucky enough to learn from people like you and other people in the space and kind of helps me inform my, my end end goal. Like the way I see this kind of unraveling is I'd love to build something at one point and, and kind of use it to benefit my audience somehow in the, in the web three creator economy space. So Depending on what's brewing, we'll see. We'll see what kind of happens in the future. But I guess uh, I'll leave it at that. So from either tokenizing my content, I brought that up, and building something, and just continuously creating more content to help other people. Um, that's kind of like the future. You know, the most rewarding part about this, David, is getting tweeted at afterwards and be like, "Yo, I listened to your episode with Daniel Allen, or with Catalog, or with this person, or with that person, and it really inspired me to launch my first collection. And look, I got my first collector because of it, or I used the principles that Verde talked about in season four to price my collection, and it helped me do this, and then it helped me do that. Like, That's the most rewarding thing ever. And I hope at the end of this episode, listening to your point of view, that that same value kind of like trickles down to more and more people. Like that's 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 selfishly what it does for me. You know, I, I think uh, in that sense, we have a very shared mission in, in terms of just building things for to help our, as many people as possible. And I think something that's really cool is what you said, like just even on a podcast level, like it's not most podcasters don't know who their initial listeners were. And I think the opportunity and obviously they know who their speakers are, but the opportunity to intertwine those two, like I'm, I'm very excited to see what you come up with. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully being a participant in, any, in anything now that I'm officially a, a speaker. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've, sir. I've been a long time listener. So th- I appreciate it. Th- thank, thank you, Adam. And pleasure to, pleasure, pleasure. Of course. To be here. 
before I let you go, where can we find you? Where can we find sound? Uh, shill it away, and then I will wrap it up. Well, the, the name is our domain, so you can find us okay. on sound.xyz. We're soundxyz on Instagram, soundxyz underscore on Twitter. Um, my personal is uh, dgreenstein1 um, with the Napster logo is kind of how I, I run around the internet. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. But most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm on Twitter talking to artists and listeners and kind of just building sound. So um, amazing. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, sir. Till next time. Congratulations on making it this far into the episode. You are a champ. And because of that, I want to say thank you by giving you a free participation NFT. You can claim yours today by visiting adamlevy.io forward slash NFT. Follow the steps on your screen. You'll be good to go. Also, depending on which platform you're listening on, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, share, favorite, etc. It really helps grow the platform and our reach online. And last but not least, I want to give some love and recognize one of our NFT sponsors who's helping make this episode a reality. They are CyberConnect, a decentralized social graph protocol allowing users to own and control their social connections while providing a universal data layer backed by powerful social features to empower developers. Already with 150,000 users and 3 million connections, CyberConnect is the largest decentralized social graph supporting Ethereum, Binance Smart Chain, Near, and Solana with more coming soon. To learn more, visit cyberconnect.me and start connecting with everyone in Web3.